Welcome to the Chronically Aware. This podcast covers a variety of conditions, but it is not intended to diagnose or recommend treatment for listeners. For correct diagnosis and treatment, make sure that you take your questions to a licensed medical professional in your area. Please know that people can go through hardships with their conditions, so be mindful that hearing about these conditions and hardships might be a trigger for you as you listen. Additionally, not everybody's chronic condition is the same. Many people experience conditions differently. Again, if you have any questions about your health, please see your medical professionals in your area. Thank you again and enjoy the show. Welcome back to Chronically Aware with guest Jody Jacobson. We jump right back in where we left off with her episode on severe chronic cough variant asthma. I recommend listening to part one of her journey and then resuming with this episode. There's so much to learn. I hope you enjoy learning about the rest of her journey. And that's the thing is, and again, a lot of it comes down to how TV portrays it, you know, yes. they either, they either, even, even when the people are, even when asthmatics are going into the hospital, I've just, you know, it's kind of like yeah. once you've had a baby and you see a woman pretending to give a baby and you're like, wow, <laughs> right. that is yes. so totally not even, you know, what happened. To the, right. yeah. Yeah. you know, yeah, but you know, I mean, they'll either show like, Hey, I've got this little, body, or I'm winding up in the hospital, but even then they like. It's, it's, it's just not, it's just not a very good. Big portrayal. traumatic attack, yeah. quick puff and all as well. Right. And even yeah. then they almost, if you think about TV, it's almost exclusively children that are portrayed mm-hmm. as asthmatic. So they almost always focus on childhood asthma, which not for everyone's, you know, but for a lot of kids, they, it, it improves as they, you know, when they have it as a child, it's not for everyone though. Some, you know, some, it doesn't improve, Struggle, but they, but they almost never talk about like this later kind of onset, onset and, and, and how it affects adults and how, if it goes untreated, you can develop COPD, you know, if you do not have your asthma treated under control. And that was part of the reason for me fighting so hard too. Cause I was worried, like, am I, am I starting to slide into a COPD world? you know, beyond persistent asthma, which there is no coming back, you know, there's. Well, um, I wondered that too. Can this cause lung scarring? Can it cause, have you dealt with any of that? Mm -hmm. And it's hard for me because like I do have, so I know, I know there's a genetic whammy for the asthma because my brother had it. My mom probably had undiagnosed childhood asthma when we look back, you know, just in her childhood. Mm -hmm. And then some of the things that she's got going on as an older adult, but my, I've got two kids who have asthma and here I am in the middle. It's, you know, there's a genetic component, but I also had lung scarring that was noted when I was 16 before the asthma kicked in that my pediatrician was able to tie back to me being exposed to histoplasmosis, which caused granulomas and scarring on my lungs. Then, you know, I do know, and they've, they've been constant, you know, so they haven't, but they, that's kind of reduced. Um, granulomas. Huh? constant granulomas that well, the, form the, well so, so they they were just um they were uh, these granulomas that formed that are kind of uh, calcified 
So right. it's like little calcified spots in the lungs. So um, it, it basically encloses the fungus so the fungus can't continue to take over your lungs. And mm-hmm. it's great. It works to stop. So the, the body does that. Yeah. So the body does that. But then you then you lose like a little bit of lung. And I, and I think that's the other thing too is like my lung function tests are usually pretty decent, which is part of the mm. other issue with getting doctors to take me seriously sometimes um, because they'll listen to my lungs and they sound awful, but they're like, but your lung function test isn't that bad. And 80s, 90s, like yeah. 60. I don't remember the scale totally. And that's what mine, mine's never been, you know, below um, the upper 80s ever. And it's usually in the mm-hmm. low 90s. But the thing is, I also lived for a year as my lungs were developing as a child in the Himalayas. And so like, I know one doctor had me do a baseline when I was healthy and my lung function was 115. Wow. So, like, over the 100% yeah. line. So when I am at 88, that's it's impacted. It's an instant impacted. It's a big decrease. And so I think that's one of the things too, is like lung function tests are one measure but right. like, you know, and, and that's, I think that's the difference. You need the whole know. picture. You need the whole picture. So, so, you know, I, I did, um, that's one of the things when the, the one set of biologics was not helping, um, my asthma doctor, my asthma immunology doctor, the one who had got me on the biology, she did send me in for a CT scan. She was like, I want to make sure I'm not missing something. I want to make sure that you, you haven't developed, you know, you don't say lung cancer, but you know, that you haven't developed something else that's going on. Um, and that we're missing something bigger because we know you already have this one condition. Let's make sure something else hasn't come up. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there was, you know, a little bit of mild leg scar, but it seemed kind of consistent with the stuff that I, you know, um, in, in the past. So, but yeah, you can get permanent damage to your lungs living like this and it, and it can decrease your function overall. And that's actually the med that I'm on. One of the boosts is they've already approved it for asthma, but they've got ongoing studies to approve it for COPD because oh, it may, good. it may help with quality of life um, for people there as well. With the um, inflammation that COPD mm-hmm. people deal with. Yes. Exactly. To help stop that inflammation reaction that, can occur in that as well. How would you say this has changed over time? I know we've touched on that throughout mm-hmm. this, but like where you are today over time, if you gave that, if you put that into words, what would you say about that? It's a, ro- so in general, um, it's been a roller coaster rolling right. down on it, on a downward incline. Like if there've been ups and downs that were definitely headed towards a lower incline. I do feel with this med that I'm still on a roller coaster, but it's starting an upward trajectory for once um, with this new medication. Um, I know if I stopped my medication altogether, I just go crashing down. Um, But I'm still not like I'm getting back to close to where I was functioning when my kids were toddlers, you know, that's awesome. Um, So it's, 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 it has made a big difference, but that time wasn't great. (laughs) Right. Right. I hear you. Thank you. for Yeah. (laughs) But it's, it's so much, it's one of those things where sometimes you don't know just how bad you felt until you finally start. Like, I'm like, you know, I, I don't think about most days now going up and down my steps. I, you know, 
and 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 that I know that's like I don't know like I, I have a two-story house the master bedroom's on the second floor and you think just going upstairs once is terrifying to now I can go up and down the steps every time I need something and I'm fine and I don't have to ask somebody else to get something to me I am not up to running or exercising really yet on a regular basis beyond like like I haven't even tried I got so bad yoga was too much, too much. for me yoga would give me an asthma attack mm-hmm. um you such know. a focus on different types of breathing there I could see how how certain even breathing exercises could be a potential risk right and that had been my go-to and like and I was always an athletic person you know so mm-hmm. it was it was it's kind of tough to give that up but I do feel like like I, I went on a hike with my son so like I think over time, like it starts off pretty okay, but you know, and it might be like kind of up and down and then it starts to slide downhill, but with still some ups, you know, so you might, I guess maybe it's kind of more of a step, like you kind of step down and you're up and downs and then you step down and you're up and downs and then you step down. It's rare to step up in those up and downs with me. Um, I do know like with my, my kids who've had childhood, they've had more step ups, right? Um, it's still a roller coaster. Like your brother like, kind yes. of growing out of childhood asthma. Right. And, and he's still like more sensitive. Like if he gets a lung, you know, disease, he may get, you know, he's more sensitive to like having to maybe pull back out the inhaler after he's been sick um, than say somebody who never had asthma would be. But, you know, it's it's like for those those times only, you know, that he, he really struggles anymore. And so it's like, he stepped up. I remember him. I remember him barely breathing and my mom being in panic, you know, when Mm -hmm. he was, when he was young Um, and like a few ER visits where he wasn't breathing, you know, with the asthma. So he had pretty severe childhood asthma and, but he did step out of it, you know, and it was, you, you get these real, you know, whereas I think with me, it's mostly been the step, been the step down, down with a few step up here and there on right. that path. Right. So it sounds like also the biologics has helped a lot. Very much. And that science is great. A, science is great. And, and finding a doctor who would help you figure out what tools to get on board to stop a just downward trajectory and say, okay, let's help. And finding a doctor who, when I did improve on the one biologic, and I did improve, I had to step up, but that step, I still had so many severe life limitations. She was like, this is not enough. Mm-hmm. We need to find something more. Mm-hmm. I mean, she literally said, I'm glad you're improving. This is not good enough. Yeah. To have a doctor reach out and say, I care about your quality of life. Let's see if we can get this even better. Yep. And you're I know, surviving and, right now, but let's help yes. you. Yeah. Right. Right. It was that you're, you're going from, okay, now you can like, you have trouble even getting to work any day to now you can get to work, but you're still having to use your rescue meds, you know, very frequently. And, you know, it's not, you're not really fully controlled and that's not good. Um, I think this last visit I went into her is probably the first time in like in years that I've been able to check enough boxes that my asthma was technically under control. Like, cause they measure it based on like the last month, how often have you used, and it's not none, like it's not zero that you've used your inhaler, but it's like, you know, 
twice a month, it's better than two times a day. Right. Right. So, you know, it's like looking at, you know, what are those, and you're still on those maintenance beds and you're still needing the rescue inhalers with those maintenance beds, but like you're considered control. And it was probably the first time I've been controlled. um, In a long time. In a long time. I'm so glad that you've got a doctor fighting for you in that way. Okay. I have one last question that is coming up for me if you're up for it. Yes. So somebody who has recently been diagnosed with um, cough variant, severe persistent asthma, what would you say to them? What would you say to them in this journey? One, I would say accept yourself and know that it's real. You know, I, I guess yeah. I mean, part of that thing is accept and know that this is, this is real, this is real. Um, you know, and, um, advocate for yourself to make sure if you have a doctor who's giving you the, let's wait and see, find a different doctor, um, ask for recommendations. Um, you know, I had a lot of friends saying, talk to your doctor about this biologic. And I would talk to my doctor about this biologic and he'd be like, no, I don't really think that's quite right. We will talk about it or your insurance might cover. And the other thing is if they, if you, you know, your doctor says, I think this might work for you, but I doubt your insurance would cover it. My doctor fought to get my insurance to cover. Right. And like, she was like, it I makes will such let a difference. Yeah, yeah. That you need this. And this is why this is a good sell for them because you're not going to wind up in the hospital, you know, exactly. They need, yeah. you know, we want to keep you from like all these medical visits. Like you, my medical visits have dropped for the asthma, not for other things, but for the asthma, it's dropped. Um, you know, fight for yourself for that. Don't be afraid to advocate and give yourself grace and know that you can't do it's okay to not do it's okay to have right. a messy house. It's okay to ask your kids to get stuff for you or ask your spouse to get stuff for you. It's okay to, to go slow. It's okay to take a day off of work just because like there's sometimes when I could move, but I would feel so exhausted and I would take my pulse ox. And like, for most people, they're like, you know, 96 and above is normal for me. 94 and above is normal. For me, I don't contact my doctor till it gets to 92. I get exhausted. I get tired because I don't get, I'm not getting enough oxygen. And so sometimes I'm just tired. And that's one of my main symptoms with the asthma. It's not even the coughing or the, everything else. I'm just exhausted and tired. tired. And it's okay to just be tired to take a rest day. Um, right. It's okay to like definitely immediately start conversations with your doctor if you work about accommodations that you would need. Don't wait. Know that your life, your quality of life will be better now. And think about what, like I can sitting in a computer. I'm fine. You know, as right. long as I'm not overly stressed on an asthma day, sitting in a computer, I'm fine. There's no reason I can't work, but as long as you're not getting, walking up a hill, right? Yeah. Well, some days I can't even take a shower without an attack. So how am I supposed right. to get dressed to go into work, but I can sit on my butt in front of a computer and work. And if I, if I have work from home accommodations for those times. And so talk to your doctor, like if you work and, you know, and if you're, don't worry too much. If your coworkers don't believe you, send them to this podcast. Right. So that they can hear what it's like exactly. 
Yeah. So there's like, this is a person going through what I've gone through. This is, you know, listen to this, and listen to this, this. this yeah. you know, I'm not making this up. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah. Is real. Know that you're not a hypochondriac. Know that this yes. is real. Know that you can give yourself grace and you can give yourself rest and you can restore your body and you can find doctors that believe you and fight for you. Yeah. Those are such good messages. And, and you know, let your coworkers know too, like, like there are days when I go to work because I feel like the pressure to go to work and I go to work and then I have to go to the restroom there and I walk, I have to stop four times for coughing fits between, mm-hmm. you know, and they hear me and they'll, they'll tell you as I'm in my office, they hear me. That's, I guess the one good mm-hmm. thing about cough variant asthma versus that they know, they know, yeah. they hear wow. me. And I'm like, you know, remember how bad I was yesterday? It's worse today. I'm staying home. <laughs> You know, um, you know, but don't, don't hesitate. And no matter what your job is, you know, and if if it's something we're moving a lot, it's going to be like, if you have a job that, you know, you're supposed to be, say you're supposed to be waiting tables, right? There's a Mm -hmm. job that you're moving a lot. Can you talk to your workplace about being a cashier where you're, you know, um, or like normally I'm fine when I'm, you know, waiting tables, but there's days where I may need an accommodation to, um, to, to, to sit be a down at the cash instead. Yeah. Yeah. The cash and I can still there. work and function and do it, you know, do a job, but I just, I can't do this other thing. And so, you know, try to see if you, you can have some of that flexibility, but um, really go to your doctor and see what options are. Can they step you up meds? Or like with me, I was maxed out. There was no, there was nowhere else to go. There were no more meds to add. And so biologics were the only option. Even Next if you step. don't, even if you feel like you don't qualify, you know, have them look, do blood work, have them follow up with insurance, try to, you know, see, do, just document, like, am I on steroids? Like if I'm on steroids every three months, it's called steroid dependent, you know? Yeah. Um, and if you are steroid dependent, like I, and, and my doctor said, like, basically three months is about the time for it to get completely out of your system and your body to go down and you need to need more. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's a three month wave, you know? You might be fine for a little while after those steroids and then you go down and, and you're not patch. fine. And if you have to keep getting on steroids, you know, or your illnesses, look how many infections you're getting, respiratory infections or secondary, you know, sinus and bronchial infections. And those are the kind of documentation your doctor can use with your insurance to get you more help, provided you have insurance. And I know that is talking from a place of privilege that I have insurance. Um, And I really, I, when I started this journey, some some of the time in grad school, I did not have insurance. Luckily, then I was at simple inhalers, which were not expensive. Down to Advair though, that, though, even those little discuses can be really expensive. And sometimes checking, um, if you have the privilege to be in college, checking what insurance plans they might offer um, or the marketplace even has some really, really, truly affordable plans now that actually do get discounted amounts for certain medications that might help as well. And also contact copay assistance. So like a lot of the biologics are really expensive and yet most of them have, like all of them have these copay programs where um, they'll, they'll reduce your amount. So like there's some of the shots are over a thousand dollars, but right. 
there was one I was on where I got set up where I only would have to pay 60 bucks. You know, my insurance, mm-hmm. you know, would have covered like two, I would have had to pay 200, I think with the insurance on that one. And it said it was 60 bucks. Cause there was like a copay, you know, assistance. The one I'm currently on surprisingly because of their copay thing, I'm not paying anything, but that's awesome. Um, yeah. Yes. But it's, but, but that, I mean, there, there are these things where you, you sign up and they'll help cover those costs. The of cost insurance of medication. Won't. And if you don't have insurance, there are some copay problem programs you can get into. Still not going to be very affordable, but it'll at least make it closer to affordable. Right. I love how HEB often runs, like, here's the different discount programs that you can use um, to be able to afford this medication. And they just sort of automatically do that here in Texas. But to look for resources, because sometimes resources are available. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about Google is um, to Google things like what kind of accommodations could help me with this condition so that you find people like you, Jody, that that have figured out some accommodations that actually help and support so that you get some of those ideas. And then and then to search, like, how could I afford this medication? How can I reach out to the person who creates this or the pharmaceutical company that creates the medication and check on copay programs? And I was lucky enough that my doctor, like advocate, brought me the applications to fill out and said, fill these out because we want to at least try to get you help. And I was like, I don't know, I may not qualify because of, you know, already being insured how much I make. And they're like, no, you'll probably just go ahead, try it, fill it out. And so if you don't know, ask your doctor, are there, you know, does this medicine have a copay assistance program? You know, because like all the major ones that I've gone through, um, have, you know, and yeah. I, the, the, I've been on three different, I had an allergic reaction to the first biologic I tried on the first mm-hmm. shot. I'm so knives. sorry. Oh, that is not an easy way to start a medication. No. And try like, I got hope. And then, yes. um, and they took them a while. The good news is that the shots are for a, last for a month. So it takes, like they were able to line up the next one around the time mm-hmm. that was wearing off but um but you know those were three different drug companies and three different copay assistance programs that I qualified for you know and so that's the thing is you know you know ask ask your your doctor and you know a lot of times um they they want to help you And, and and the same thing with like Trilogy I think when I first got on it the first that the doctor didn't the didn't know if like if my insurance would cover it and so they were able to get um, some codes that would like give you like six months at a reduced price or something like that, just in case, you know, insurance didn't kick in. So ask them about that. And it may, may only be for a short time, but it's also enough time to try out. Is that medicine helping? And then if that does medicine is helping, then the doctor has another argument to get your insurance to cover it if you have insurance. And if you don't have insurance, you know, maybe you can find out about other programs to join to maybe get that medicine at a reduced, reduced price. I love it. I love the resources and support you're telling people. Okay. Do you have time for just one more quick question? One-ish, two-ish. There's kind of two that I want to end on. Um, Okay. So family and friends, if you could tell them anything that you that somebody being diagnosed or that you wish that they knew, what would you tell family and friends? And then the third question, just to give you the like 
upcoming one is um, doctors in the medical world. What would you want them to know? So I think for family and friends, for both my family and friends, and then anyone else who has somebody in their life with this that's being diagnosed is one, recognize that people who have this are more likely going to try to push through right. and stop when they need to stop because they're going to feel that pressure. If you can give them that allowance to take a break, like when a friend tells me, Hey, why don't you sit down? I don't like how you sound. You need to take a break. Yeah. That recognition that somebody sees that I'm struggling helps me stop and take a moment and not push through. And I'll, I'll believe me, I'll hurt. Even if I push through something, I'm going to hurt so much worse the next day. And, you know, and then also have patience, you know, and know that like, they're not being lazy. Yeah. <laughs> that's the other thing, you know, people sometimes, you know, like, I'm not being lazy that I don't want to get up and do something. I, yeah. I know I like, can't breathe. I, I can't breathe. And even if I'm breathing right now, I know getting up and doing that thing, it's going to exacerbate. It's going to trigger. It's yeah. going to trigger. And I won't be able to breathe. I I've learned to listen to my body to know when something's going to set me off. Um, and especially like, like I have great support in my household. I'm very supportive husband who knows, and you know, he'd rather me not have a downturn because yes. that's longer than I'm out. So, you know, he's very supportive of, you know, short-term things too, but, you know, know that they're, know that they are struggling and, and then be aware, you know, just to kind of be aware to listen because we're, we're probably not going to get help when we need to get help all the time. Um, mm -hmm. So help encourage them to get, to get help and just to recognize and to acknowledge and, you know, say like, if you're having a downturn, how can I help you out? Because honestly, this is somebody who may be bedridden and right. they can't, you know, like, Hey, could I help pick up your kids from school? I got to pick my kids up from school anyway. Would you mind, you know, or, you know, I'd, I'd be happy to swing by and grab them and bring them to you. So just so you can kind of rest a little bit longer, or, you know, if you see a yard, that's a mess, our yard's always a mess because I'm, I'm the one who loves yard work. I love gardening. I love cleaning the yard. I love raking leaves. Guess what? <laughs> It's probably a trigger. It's yes. like leaf mold, like mold, like I can't, there's, and like, I can get out there and I'll get out there and I'll start doing stuff. And usually when I've done yard work the next day, you're have, seven. I'm full of attacks and I'm not doing much yeah. and I'm not moving, you know, so volunteer, you know, to help like, Hey, I noticed you got a leaf, you know, I mean, if you're that kind of friend, you know, you don't have to be that kind of friend that shows up to do stuff. Honestly, the biggest thing is just acknowledging and saying, Hey, you know, is there anything I, you know, take a rest, you know, give time to yourself. Um, let them acknowledge to them that it's okay to be, to do a little self care because in the long run, they'll feel better. In the long run, they'll yes. be, have less effects. In the long run, they'll be able to do more if they do less now. I love it. I love so, it. I, I forgot what the follow up was. So the was. last one was the, doctors in the medical oh. world like if you could tell them what you need them to know one of my biggest things is cough variant asthma is not psychosomatic yes yeah I've had ones who say well you're coughing but you your lungs sound clear it's because there's inflammation and irritation there and that irritation and the little vibrations are causing you to cough but they're not bad enough that you're it's really restricting the air yet. So there's different levels of 
irritation and swelling. So you may sound fine, but you have that irritation there that's still making you cough. And I have, it's not psychosomatic. (laughs) Yeah. It's not in your head. You really do have that inflammation and you can feel it. I also trust your patient, your asthmatic patient, when they come in and they go, I've got bronchitis. They're like, well, I don't know if you really have bronchitis. I know what my lungs feel like. I've had bronchitis probably no fewer than, and I'm not exaggerating because it's probably about um, at least three to four times a year. And sometimes it's been six times a year in my life over the last Mm -hmm. 30 years. So we're talking 180, 200 times that I've- A lot. Yeah, you know, that you've experienced it in your body. In my body, I know that I have bronchitis. I'm coming to you to make sure it hasn't gone to pneumonia. You know, um, I need antibiotics and, and, and I don't, I'm, I'm cool with, you know, not over prescribing, but I also appreciate doctors who ask me what works for me because I've had doctors prescribe. Well, let me give you this lowest, lower dose light, you know, and you're like, I know that's not going to knock this out at all. Yes. That's not going to knock it out. And so it's just more like, listen to your patients. And if your patient, sometimes I would feel like I shouldn't say how bad I was feeling when I was in the doctor. Like, I feel like I, I needed to. You wanted you know, to please them or perform right. well or be doing well. Yeah. And so really kind of dig in and, you know, ask them hard questions, you know, ask them. Well, if you had to go um, get up and take a shower and get to work, you know, would you be, would that make you cough? Well, yeah. yeah. Most people getting up and taking a shower and going to work does not make them cough. It's not going to make them cough. Yeah. So ask the questions that really indicate how somebody's doing rather than just looking at them and taking for face value that they're okay. And I, I gave the emphatic yes on the psychosomatic part because um, it's really tough how much is chalked up to that and, mm-hmm. and to be able to truly listen and not just make that assumption right off the bat is so important for chronic illness. Yeah. And also don't hesitate if you're a PCP to refer to a specialist. Yes. I, yeah. I was treated by PCPs who first recognized and got it, but honestly, I probably should have been referred to a specialist the very first time it was noticed. And, you know, I do think sometimes PCPs try to treat themselves and it doesn't mean that it's bad treatment, but they're not the specialist, this other person, that's their whole thing. So they're going to know best, you know, how to like set up a maintenance plan, set up, you know, their treatment plans, you know, help them know, um, what to rule out, what to look into. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and, and to kind of, you know, think of that, that thing, that issue specifically, you know, if you have a patient that's asthmatic and doesn't have a specialist listed say, Hey, have you considered going now? If they're at a, maybe I just need a puff of an inhaler before I go play soccer. And other than that, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe say, PCP can manage that. Maybe. maybe the PCP can right. That. But if they're, if you're but, starting to talk maintenance meds, it, and again, you know, there are towns where there may not be, you know, great asthma specialists floating around. Um, and so sometimes, you know, there may be in a, you know, in a more rural area where maybe you don't have as many specialists in general, um, or people have to travel a lot and you, you understand, you know, their, their, their needs and their, 
you know, maybe it's restrictive or maybe their insurance won't pay for specialists very easily. You know, I mean, you have to know your patient, obviously, and their needs. Don't hesitate. I I, I think I, I had one specialist, one PCP was happy to refer me to a specialist. was like, you know, you really should probably go see a specialist. I'm happy treating yeah. you, but I think you really should go to a specialist. But I had others that I was like, should I be going to a specialist? And they were like, no, no, you're, you know, I, and you're like, actually, now looking back, yes, I probably if I got into a specialist yeah. first, maybe I could have gotten to a specialist that would have gotten me on the regimen I needed that right. would have slowed progression a little bit. Right. If that, is that a, was yes. that feel? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Oh my gosh. I have loved this. I feel like I could ask you a million questions and talk all night long because yes. this is really helpful. And this is exactly why I created this podcast I even hope like in my dreams that there are doctors that check this out and like really listen to what their patients are going through and say and feel and how they struggle with their family members or friends or workplace in their life and just for people to gain that greater empathy and you have done a beautiful job articulating articulating persistent chronic asthma and did I just say it right did I just say it right yeah I mean and and that's the thing is there's there there are there can be severe asthma. Have, yeah. And there can be people who are kind of mild. So there's, there's yeah. people who are mild, persistent, where it's not that bad, but it's not going to go. You don't have, you don't have big right. chunks of time where you're fine. Um, moderate persistent is, you know, you can have like, I'm fine. No, I'm not fine. Mm-hmm. But there's, you still have, you don't have huge chunks of time. Like you, you know, you'll, you, you can't go like, like some people can go almost a year without having an asthma attack, you know, other people, you know, six months without having an asthma attack. Then there's ones who, you know, I, I, it's kind of off and on through the month, but it's, it's still controlled, but I kind of have the asthma that's there and that's, you know, it's, it, you know, that's kind of more moderate, but severe persistent is like, yep, there's like no, gap. it's there, like no space. It's there's there no all the time. Like even now, like if I was to you know, if I was to try to, you know, take a walk in my neighborhood, I'd be coughing. I'd be, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just my body going, it's not. Can't do this. Yeah. I can't do this. This is not a good breathing day. Yes. And and I guess one of the other hints too is um, learn the things that the over-the-counter meds that work for you too. And the, and the life things like, I, I don't, cannot remember the last time I slept flat on my back, you know, because when you sleep, when you lay down, it makes everything kind of construct more and so you don't getting an inclining pillow getting the yes so like having an inclining pillow having like a little nest like I've got like an incline pillow and then two other pillows that are kind of like on either side of me to kind of like nest me in um you know one of the tricks I learned thanks to COVID was doing more time on my stomach you know because Mm -hmm. that actually being on your stomach in a prone position kind of in a interesting and so like if you're if you if you're laying down but like not flat down but like a slight elevation on your stomach like I can almost sleep flat if I'm on my stomach but just slightly elevated Uh, sometimes that helps me breathe better than sitting up you know and I've I've found some some homeopathic bronchiodilators that don't interfere like with mucin you know that that are because I also tend to uh, have hypermucosity sometimes yeah um because the inflammation the mucinex 
perspective. Yes. And, and yes. To help kind Flush of it out. out. And then, you know, I don't want, sometimes I don't want to be on mucinex too much. And so there's like another med that kind of helps thin it out. That's, you know, not, it's a different kind of med. So it's, you can layer them on. And again, when you're severe like me, you, you learn how to layer, layer meds on and, you know, you learn like Theraflu, the next time Theraflu, sometimes even when my rescue inhaler and my albuterol nebulizer and all my meds aren't happen, helping, so what, I don't know what's in, what it is that's in the nighttime Theraflu, not the daytime Theraflu, not the meds mm. individually, the Benadryl, because I've tried like Benadryl and it doesn't work. Maybe it's just the combination of the heat and everything. Sometimes that will calm me down, you know, so that I can at least stop coughing before night. But it's like, learn, learn those over the counter things that, that help you, especially when you're in that, I can't get, you know, you're getting hit and you can't get into the doctor till the next day or two days. And in the meantime, you've got to try to avoid a hospital, you right. know, so. right. Yay. Avoiding hospitals. Yes. yes. Well, I thank you so much for all of the information that you have shared and appreciate everything that you shared. And I hope this is helpful to anybody beginning this diagnostic process in the thick of the diagnostic process, or that has family members or patients or mm -hmm. loved ones that deal with asthma. I imagine that the voice you put to all of this will help to increase awareness and compassion. And I thank you for taking the time. Well, I thank you for doing this podcast because I know you and I both share this, this wanting chronic, to get oh, yeah, and, Ill awareness, this. stigma busting. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and wanting people to, to understand. And it's about, you know, educate people can't know unless they know. And so I think that's really important and you're bringing an avenue of having that voice get out there and to aware, raise the awareness, become chronically aware. I love it. And thank you again for the name suggestion, which was the one I latched onto. And <laughs> so thank you for being the first on this and for all of that. Um, and I hope you have a good closing, I again want to remind people that this podcast was intended to educate about the wishes and needs of the individuals that bravely shared their medical stories. This podcast was not intended to diagnose or recommend treatment for listeners. Please know that each person experiences conditions in their own ways, and for any testing, diagnosis, and or treatment recommendations, see a licensed medical health care provider in your area. The creator of this podcast is a therapist. However, this podcast is not intended to provide therapeutic testing, diagnosis, and or treatment options, and the creator of this podcast is not operating as your therapist in creating these episodes. For therapeutic support, find a local licensed professional in your area. And finally, this podcast is listener supported. Please see the notes section for a link to PayPal and other ways to give so that this podcast can grow and support even more people in having their voices heard. Thank you and have a beautiful day.